Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show with the announcer that is so sexy and famous, his only name is Announcer. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 8 of the Pipes Magazine radio show. The sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining 45-minute weekly broadcast dedicated to the things we enjoy the most. Let me tell you, I'm a little tired. Just flew back from the West Coast, literally got off the plane 45 minutes ago, and... You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir, I've never been up in a plane before. You ever seen a grown man naked? And boy, are my arms tired, and I'm a little jet-lagged. I gotta warn you right now, this might be a strange episode, but we'll see what happens. Coming up in the show, rant, mailbag, all the standard stuff, pipe parts. We're gonna talk about shapes and size of bowls and how that affects the tobaccos that we smoke. My guest is Scott Tinker, a man of many talents, including master woodworker and pipe smoker, making some beautiful pipe cabinets. We'll talk to him in just a little bit. Don't know if I'll be able to get around to recapping what happened at the Vegas Pipe Show. Haven't really had a chance to catch up and get a good night's rest, so I don't want to do any disservice to anybody, but I'll get back to that hopefully next week. I do want to say a big thank you to my friends at SmokingPipes.com for sponsoring this show and hooking me up with a sweet new pipe. All right, everybody, here we go. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn. Or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. An American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. Welcome back. I'm trying to get rehydrated after the long flight back east. For pipe parts, I want to talk about size. Size does matter in the bowl and the combination of tobacco that you're using. I was watching a thread on the forums a couple weeks back, and we were the discussion was, what do you smoke in a small bowl, what do you smoke in a large bowl, and vice versa. So let me explain this first off. The law of physics does apply to our pipes and tobaccos. The wider the tobacco chamber... The less concentrated the burn area is, the less force your puffing on the pipe has on that specific bowl. So here's what I do. Narrower, smaller bowls, I tend to go with the milder blends, whether it be a straight Virginia or a milder Virginia Perique. I find that the smaller bowls help bring out the flavors of those tobaccos. Now, when we're looking at a bigger bowl, I'll go up into the Virginia Periques or the more full-bodied, fuller-flavored, stronger blends. Why? Because that larger burn surface and that less powerful draw that I'm causing on it tends not to heat that up. It also allows it to smooth out. By smoothing out, I mean it keeps it cooler. It allows all the flavor to come through. If I were to put a single blend in there, a single tobacco blend like a Virginia, a very 
one note kind of a tobacco, it'll make it so mild that I may not be able to taste it. So in my smaller pipes, I like pipe tobacco blends that are more of one or two flavors. In my bigger bowls, I like more flavor. The more complex the blend, I'm going to say that you want a bigger bowl for that blend. If the blend is made up of four or five different types of tobacco and has a couple of condimental leaves in it, orientals, latakias, whatever it be, a mixture of burley and Virginia and some black Cavendish, whatever it is, the more complex the blend, you want a bigger bowl. The other reason you want a bigger bowl for those complex blends, besides smoking them cooler and having less of a draw effect on them, is when you're packing a bowl, you're taking about three to four grams out of a sample. You want to make sure that you get the proper mixture that the blender has intended. Unless you've aged that tobacco for five, seven, ten years, you want to make sure that you get a good mixture in it. It's as simple as cooking. If you think of cooking, when you're making a very small batch, being precise with the components or with the ingredients is more important than if you're making a big batch where you can miss by a little bit. So in a small bowl, if you've got a very complex blend in there, you've got a chance of missing a component. Some blends may be 10% this, 5% that, in a small bowl, you run a chance of missing 5% of, of a component. So you want to make sure that you use a bigger bowl for the more complex blends, a smaller bowl for the less complex blends. Also, you want to make sure that the, that the pipe that you're smoking is comfortable for the time and place. So this is why, again, I have several different sizes of pipes, anywhere from a group two up to what would be considered an ODA size. When I'm working or when I'm doing the show, I've got a smaller pipe with me because it's more comfortable to hold in my mouth, it's more comfortable to carry, it's easier to set down on a desk, whatever it is. If I'm out and about and I'm only going to have a 20-minute, 30-minute window to smoke, I'll carry a smaller pipe with me. It's also a little easier in the pocket. If I'm sitting down in the reclining chair for a movie for the night or for a game or for whatever I'm going to watch, I'll have one of my bigger pipes. I have no problem holding it in my hand, pack the bowl once, might get through a a two-and-a-half-hour, three-hour movie with one large bowl. There are other nights where I may have two pipes during during a three-hour movie or a three-hour sit-down, and that's because I may not want to smoke one blend all the way through. So if I want to switch up gears and maybe go from a lighter to a more intense, I'll have two smaller pipes. The size of the pipe does affect the way you're going to smoke it. Not only that, the other measurement that I look at for the size of the pipe, and we're talking about the size of the bowl now, is for me personally, I want to make sure that there's a quarter inch of wood all the way around the bowl. That quarter inch of wood allows the for me, allows the bowl to take up a bunch of the heat. Now, when you're looking online or when you're looking at a pipe that's measurements are given to you, what you want to look at is the width of the bowl minus the tobacco chamber. So if the tobacco chamber is 0.75 inches, I want a bowl that is at least 
1.25 inches wide. That gives me a half inch of wood evenly distributed is a quarter inch wall all the way around the bowl. I find that that gives me a cooler, easier smoking experience. Doesn't allow any of my small pipes, which I might have in my hand while I'm working, or I might set down on a desk or whatever it is. Doesn't allow them to get heated up. On a smaller pipe, yeah, you do lose some, you lose some bowl capacity by doing that, but that's okay. I've got other pipes that are big enough to handle it. I've seen many times where a pipe smoker will get a bowl that is way too small for their style of tobacco. And this I'm referring to the aromatic guys because aromatics do have a tendency to get heated up. So you aromatic smokers, I want you to make sure that you've got at least a half inch of wood all the way around the bowl for that aromatic blend. If it does get overheated, I want it to re-radiate out into the bowl. So let's recap real quick. Smaller bowls, more simple blends. Larger bowls, more complex blends. Smaller pipes for short smokes, larger pipes for long smokes. Make sure you have the right pipe and tobacco combination. Try different, try your tobacco in different sizes of pipes and see what happens. You'll get a whole different effect out of it. And I hope I'm making sense to everybody. Haven't had much sleep in the past week. You have any ideas on that? Post them on the forums. Let me know. Try it out. See what happens. We'll be back. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at Smokingpipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah, blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. This is Internet Radio. Welcome back. It's the Pipes Magazine radio show. Coming up in just a few more minutes, Scott Tinker will be with me. Later on in the show, I've got a slightly different than usual mailbag for you. At the end of the show, a slightly different than usual rant. Could be that I'm feeling slightly different than usual. Music from Lalo Schifrin, great American composer and pipe smoker and former customer of mine at uh, Dunhill. In the meantime, please help us spread the word of the radio show. We would sure appreciate it. Go on to iTunes. Give us a uh, rate the show there. Leave a comment there as well. That helps us get found. Tell all your friends. If you're on other forums, let them know about, uh, let them know about the show. Remember, friends don't let friends not know about the Pipes Magazine radio show. While I was in Vegas, I got a chance to sit down with a couple of, uh, really good American pipe carvers, got to spend some time talking to them with the microphone. Also got to uh, 
got some time scheduled with a bunch of guys for future for phone interviews because we just ran out of time. The weekend was jam-packed, but a lot of fun. Coming up, Scott Tinker, and I got to admit to you, Scott's not really here. Uh, we had a scheduling conflict. Scott came by on a Tuesday. What you're about to hear is uh, part of my Two Guys Just Hanging Out with Pipes Talking series. It was us, some Starbucks coffee, and I think Scott's a perfect example of the incredibly talented people that are in our hobby. Hope you enjoy it. Let's let's go back in time. Absolutely. Um, go all the way back. The Growing, way back machine. The way back machine. Growing up, what did you want to be? I have no idea. No, that's a lie. I wanted to be a musician from the day I came out of the womb. Um, my parents at eight months old said that my body twitched whenever they played music. And by two years old, I was demanding somebody let me play an instrument. At that point, of course, I was too small to get my hands on a keyboard. And the only instrument anyone would let me play was a violin. And so from the age actually of three, I started taking violin lessons from the concertmaster of the Chattanooga Symphony. And the rest is history, I guess. But I wanted to be a musician. There was never any doubt about it. What was your first career? I was a professional opera singer for about 14 years, actually. Had a very, very nice career. Thank goodness someone recognized that I had far more potential as a singer than I did as a violinist. I would have always been in the uh, orchestra pit instead of on the uh, stage as a performer. And uh, so someone finally figured out, hey, that's a voice that people might enjoy listening to. My parents were not two of those, but that's all right. For someone like me that doesn't know the opera world at all, uh, have you performed in any places that I might recognize? I had the very distinct privilege of singing on the stage at the Metropolitan Opera in the 2004-2005 season, uh, sang in some cities in Europe. Uh, it, as I said, I had a very, very nice career, and I, I'm very appreciative for all the people who really helped me get there because it was 10 or 12 maybe even 15 years of, of grueling, sort of fighting your way through. Lots of crying and banging your head against walls when things wouldn't go right and the top C wasn't what it should be. Of course, as a tenor, we're neurotic about our high notes. Anyway, well, we're just neurotic, probably. Um, but about high notes particularly. So when they weren't working, then it was a real problem. And as is somewhat common with people in our hobby, uh, you have a second career now. Yes, Absolutely. Um, I gave up my opera career to pursue life as a fine furniture maker, which the two just dovetailed perfectly. Did you get it? Dovetail? dovetail. Right. Dovetail. Right. See? Right. Um, yeah. Which, which seemingly have nothing to do with one another, but one was a catharsis, really, and, a, uh, and by that I mean my father had developed cancer, was very, very sick. I needed to be home helping mother care for him. I have no siblings. So... It was a way for me to get out of the house on occasion, to get out to the workshop, to be creative, because I couldn't go sing on the opera stage. And it developed into a full-blown obsession, honestly. And the way we met, uh, when did you start smoking a pipe? I suppose, actually, in truth, and this you don't know about me, I don't think, and that is my earliest memory from childhood. I was about, I couldn't have been more than a year old sitting on my great-grandfather Seagrove's lap, and I can still feel his flannel shirt against my cheek. He had a meticulous 
handlebar mustache, and I can still smell the, the, the aroma of the cherry pipe tobacco rolling out of his pipe. And so my love of pipes started very, very early. But I think I started in earnest smoking pipes maybe four or five years ago. Were you still singing then? Absolutely. Uh, in fact, what many people may be surprised to learn is that it's not uncommon for singers to smoke. I have a friend, and I won't call his name, he's a very well-known spinto tenor. Uh, and if you ever need to know where he is, if he's not on stage, he's outside smoking, sucking cigarettes in. Uh, he goes through a pack or two a day, and I said, how do you manage to do that? Well, it's how I stay sane, he said. As I said, tenors are notoriously neurotic. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to share pipes with some of the very great singers uh, that, if I call their names, people would recognize who are pipe smokers. One of them is no longer with us, and that's Luciano Pavarotti. Um, Pavarotti was a, was a pipe and cigar smoker. Um, Placido Domingo uh, smokes uh, pipe. And there are others who are pipe and cigar smokers in our in the music business as well. When you began when you began smoking a pipe. Yes. Lots of people will tend to head to their head to the local smoke shop. Yes. Or and since it's been relatively recent for you, can you remember any really bad bad advice or bad or big mistakes that you made? I think unknowingly the person who really got me started at the local tobacco shop gave me what I have come to learn as were all the wrong answers, honestly. Uh, it, was a, it was a cheap pipe that was not well made. It was a really, really goopy, aromatic tobacco and a torch lighter, <laughs> if you can imagine that. So you have a really crummy pipe, really crummy tobacco, and a super hot flame. And you can imagine that my tongue was uh, like leather in about 30 seconds. So I thought, mm, don't know what all this is about, but this ain't good. Uh, and finally, I, I really got connected. In woodworking, I actually started teaching. And I got connected with a, a who has become a very dear friend, a man who is now 67 years old, a longtime pipe smoker, all the way back uh, into medical school. And he sort of took me under his wing, mentored me about pipes, about engineering, about tobacco, about how one should go about packing a pipe, how one should do lighting, all of the things that were necessary in order to achieve, or at least give yourself the best chance to have a remarkable smoking experience. Now, I will let everybody know that you have three different blends that you distinctively like. Yes. And they are dramatically different extremely different, although they all have one thing in common. And you're the cause of that, by the I way. I didn't do it. <laughs> they all involve McClellan's Red Cake. I have to tell you, that really is my favorite tobacco of all time, and I put it in everything. So all the blends that I smoke are bastardized versions, my own version created with the blend that comes in a tin, and then I add red cake to it. Um, I smoke red cake by itself. I smoke red cake mixed with with a Cornell and Deal uh, blend uh, that Patty really turned me on to uh, called New Market. And it's a Virginia with deer tongue in it. And I enjoy that one immensely. And then the other one actually is Frog Morton. I know last week you were talking, or a few weeks back, you were talking with uh, Mary McNeil. Mm -hmm. at, uh, at McClellan, and I'll tell you, the Frog Morton series is phenomenal, but I love the original. Have not had the chance to try Cellar, by the way, yet, but I intend to do that soon. 
But I take Frogmorton and mix it with Red Cake. It gives me a slightly sweeter version, and those are really the big three for me. And I'm always jealous of people because I'm stuck in such a rut with one <laughs> with one taste profile that you've got multiple taste profiles. Uh, do you still have you gone back and tried other aromatics? Okay, so we'll have one big. All of you aromatic smokers, gather around the uh, computer. All right, a- any any snobs out there, close your ears right now. I'll let you know when to come back. Go Absolutely. Ahead. Okay, so so all of you aromatic smokers, come around. Let's have a healing session together. I actually have an aromatic that I go to on a fairly regular basis, and I have to tell you, I love it. The problem is that aromatics have gotten such a bad name. As I demonstrated to you before we turned the microphone on, I have this knee-jerk apology that I do before I tell you what it is. I'm not apologizing. I'm going to stand by it because I love it. I think it tastes as sweet as it smells um, and it's an Altidus blend, uh, their Z50 Black Cordial, and I absolutely love it. It's it's not hot burning, and so there you are. I have admitted it. Admission is good for the soul, and my soul feels fantastic at the moment. In fact, I think I'm going to have some. As I always tell everybody, the best pipe tobacco is the one that you enjoy. If you enjoy it, smoke it. Don't let anybody else tell you what you what you need to be smoking. Here, here. We're going to take a quick break. But before we get to the break, here's a little sample of Scott's singing talent. There's nothing quite like a good book, or my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. See for yourself at corncobpipe.com. are back. Scott and I were uh, quickly discussing cigars. However, that brings me towards your newest career. Uh, You've made a few humidors, haven't you? Ah, uh, yes. And I will tell you, it was completely self-serving because, frankly, uh, as an opera singer, uh, I didn't always have the money to go buy a really nice humidor. And so I thought, okay, be be self-reliant here. I said, I'll make myself a humidor. The first one was really crummy. In the meantime, I had the benefit of studying with one of the nation's really first-rate hand tool authorities. And he said, oh, well, this seal is supposed to work this way. And if you use this hand plane to just shave this down, literally a sort of 25,000th at a time, then you can really refine the seal. And so uh, thanks to him, I actually started making some really nice humidors. I was a member of a local club, and I took my humidor in one night because I wanted to show it off. I was really proud, and I knew there were other guys in there who were woodworkers, and I wanted them to see. Well, they were all sort of gathered around looking at it and the seal, and, oh, it rides down on a cushion of air. And I started getting requests, a request or two, even from woodworkers who said, hey, do you think you could make me a humidor that would do this or that, a cabinet style, a really big box one, one for this kind of cigar or that? And it became a cottage industry, which I was totally not expecting. Um, I was doing something for me, and it turned out to be something that other people appreciated. So, yes, I have made uh, some humidors and actually started making pipe cabinets as well. That brings me to your website. It's jscotttinker.com. Yes, 
you want to talk a little bit about some of your pipe cabinets? Absolutely, I'd be happy to. My pipe cabinets really started, again, as a self-serving kind of thing because even the most expensive stuff that I saw for pipe furniture, cabinets, stands, you name it, all seemed very, sorry, cookie cutter to me. They all kind of looked the same, usually not wood at the core, veneered very nicely, but they just had a very sterile factory feel to them. And I decided I wanted to make something that had a craftsman look to it, that was made of solid wood, that I could be really proud to display my pipes on or in, uh, as the case may be. And so I started making cabinets, and people sort of got interested in it. My friend Laszlo, whom who I talked about earlier, who really brought me into the pipe smoking fold, said, you know, you really are doing a great job at that. You ought to let other people look at your stuff. So my first experience in showing my pipe furniture to the world was actually this past Chicago show. And commissions went very, very well. And I am very happy to report that right at the minute, they are paying the mortgage and and, uh, paying for gas in the car, food on the table, and just having a blast. Uh, Combining my two great loves, pipes and pipe, well, three loves, pipes, pipe tobacco, and woodworking. Now, I will say that these are not what I would consider to be standard consumer-grade pieces of furniture. These are heirloom-quality pieces of work that will last a lifetime. I've seen them in person. I've seen them on his website. Uh, your furniture work. Yes. Is, is that where you, that's where you really began with the woodworking? Absolutely. My, to just give a little bit of history on how I got into that, my father was a maintenance machinist by trade, a very good one. And he enjoyed tinkering around, no pun intended on my last name, uh, began doing woodworking at home. His original name was Smith. That's right, Smith. John, John Smith. So anything he would let me put a nail in, I had a hammer out wanting to, to do it. And I enjoyed doing something with my hands. My first real creation, I was seven years old. I hammered together with my father's help a shadow box for my mother. It still actually hangs on her wall, and I'm terrifically embarrassed about it. But I was seven years old, for crying out loud. Cut me a little slack. And it all sort of developed from there. And then as an opera singer, you work six or seven months out of the year. you got to have something to do with the rest of your time. And so I came back to this love of creating, doing something with my hands and something useful. And wood was always an attraction for me. I loved the way it looked, the smell of it, Everything about it I loved. And it was a way to combine creativity with a medium that I enjoyed working in. And so I started with furniture, really. Through machine, uh, through machining and electrical tools, I developed some skills. And then I began to see those electrical plug-in tools as more of something that was holding me back as opposed to something that was really helping me. Um, because I couldn't afford a $100,000 CNC machine that would cut grooves for inlay for me and cut the inlay and all those things. And then I began to look at these really gorgeous antique pieces in the Yale collection, for example. Two, three hundred years old, these people had this immaculate inlay, shaded, no gaps, all very uh, precisely done. So that led me to the question, well, these guys obviously didn't have something they could plug in. How did they go about doing that? 
and rather serendipitously about the same time I actually ran into this hand tool authority who was doing a seminar in Atlanta and I showed up and he had never taken anybody as a private student or apprentice before but we found a real kinship and he said why don't you come to the farm over the summer and let's see where it goes and so I was able to spend parts of the summer of 2006 and 7 with him really learning the craft of fine furniture of using hand tools to get unbelievable surfaces to refine joinery and that's what really allowed me to be able to do very very fine pieces of furniture with unbelievable tolerances which in turn allowed me to do humidors that were not only beautiful on the outside but also functioned unbelievably well as humidors as something that will hold in humidity to be able to age cigars and keep them fresh and also then into pipe furniture of course it's not so important obviously to hold in moisture or any of those. in fact you kind of want the opposite something that will allow circulation of air in it but I took the very same approach that it's a fine piece of furniture and should be treated as such so I don't use plywood I don't and I'm not being pejorative about people who do I'm only saying it's my choice to do all solid wood so it involves time-tested joinery and working all of these surfaces by hand no sandpaper all done with hand planes draw knives chisels spoke shaves is there anything coming up in the future ah I actually, at the Chicago show, had two pipe makers. Two, one who's already well-established, the other who is really establishing himself as a fine maker who approached me about doing something for them. And I'm, I'm very proud to say that both of those things are upcoming. Um, and I don't mind mentioning who they are. I don't think oh, they... Oh, good, because then I don't have to press for <laughs> the answer. Don't twist my arm. Uh, Scott Klein... A young man in Chicago who is a phenomenal pipe maker. Uh, I don't think it's too much to say he's sort of Alex Florov's protege. He actually uh, asked me to make a cabinet for him for his own personal pipes at home. And I'm very, very thrilled and honored to do that. And that's been a labor of love. There's probably, I don't know, 100, 110 hours in the cabinet and stand that I made for him. And then Todd Johnson, who is in Nashville, Tennessee, caught me literally just as I was walking out the door to go home from the Chicago show and approached me about the idea of a seven-day pipe set that he's doing. And so I am crafting for him uh, a very, very intricate and, quite frankly, difficult piece to execute that is not rectilinear at all. There are hardly any 90-degree angles on it, but it's basically a demi-lune table with a number of drawers in it. There are some secret compartments that I've built in, and then there is a stand that will sit on top of this table with drawers to hold the seven-day pipe set that he's creating. So that is still to come. That'll be fun. Now, because people always ask me what are my favorite pipes, and people in the industry are always asked what their favorite pipes, you're not a pipe maker. You're not in the pipe industry per se. No, I am not. You are a furniture maker and craftsman tell us what your favorite pipes are my absolute favorites that i smoke on a regular basis uh, i own in fact i'm i'm sitting here with it at the moment and i don't mind telling you will purdy as most of you already know is a phenomenal craftsman and i have a zulu from him that i commissioned some time ago 
and it probably is one of the three or four best smokers that I own. Scott Klein is another one. I have a blowfish by him. The others, I actually enjoy estate pipes, in truth. And you helped me, Brian, with, with that uh, obsession, and darn you for it. Um, but I, I really enjoy Dunhill and Barling, pre-transition, of course, Barlings and Dunhills from the 50s and 60s, honestly. I want to thank you for stopping by. Any chance you can sing a little piece as we uh, head off to commercial? Questo quello per l'opera sono d'acqua d'arla tra d'intorno, d'intorno mi vedo. Del mio cuore l'impero non c'era e maglia d'una che un'altra beltà. This is Internet Radio. Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at Smokingpipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about SmokingPipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah. SmokingPipes.com. Make it your family tradition. Welcome back. A couple weeks ago it was Danish. Now it's Italian. I hope I don't get in trouble with the Italian censors for Scott singing something wrong that I have no idea what it was. The only Italian I understand is espresso. Anyway, for this mailbag segment, no fancy introduction to it, no witty little uh, comic intro. I want to talk about the passing of Craig Tarler. Uh... I was I went to the memorial service and then after the service was invited back to the family's house for uh just a visit and Craig and Patty in particular and I have always had kind words for each other big smiles and hugs when we saw each other Craig and I would poke at each other and I'd always get my kiss from Patty and we'd catch up on what was going on in the industry and chat about business and this that and the other it was always a just a great friendly relationship. A couple of times I'd gone up to their place. It's about an hour and a half from me, so I'd spend some time up there. Saw them at all the pipe shows. By the time of the memorial service, and that had been about four or five days after Craig's passing, the family had a stack of emails in a basket. They had been printing out, or people had been printing out for them, the comments that you people were leaving on forums for them. Those comments and those emails meant more in the world to them than anything that anybody could have said to the to the family at that time. They were sitting there passing them around and noting the different countries that they came from, the different continents, the people that they had never met, and they didn't understand until they started reading all those emails how important they were 
how important Craig was in the lives of us pipe smokers and how much their work meant to us. I talked to Chris Tarler about him for a little bit, and Chris said, yeah, you know, that that really surprised them. And still to this day, they're still getting emails in and comments on the forums. They're keeping them all. They're listening to them. They're reading them. Listening to them. Uh, they're reading them. And it really does mean a whole bunch to them. They really appreciate all of your comments. I wanted to pass that along for them. They're wonderful people. I love them dearly. The business is doing great. Chris has got a couple of new blends that he's uh, working on right now. And Chris will be out at all the pipe shows. And just wanted to pass those thoughts along to you. Uh, piece of music coming up. Lalo Schifrin, one of my former customers at the Dunhill store in, in uh, Beverly Hills. Lalo did a lot of screenplays, a lot of music for uh, for TV. Lalo's probably his most famous piece of music that he composed was the theme for Mission Impossible. He did the original Dirty Harry movies. He did Bullet. But his real passion was Latin jazz. So here's a little bit of uh, Lalo Schifrin for you.
was Lalo playing the piano. Uh, to search him and find out more about him, his name is Lalo, L-A-L-O. Last name is Schifrin, S-C-H-I-F-R-I-N, Lalo Schifrin. Last week's trivia question, who Google searched capstan? Uh, capstan is a uh, nautical term. It's the rotating wench in the middle of a uh, of a sailing ship that was used to tighten or loosen up the rigging on the ships. That's a capstan. This week's trivia question, another uh, another tobacco name, Dunhill 965. Why'd they call it 965? Try Google searching that one, see what you come up with. All right, we'll be back in just a minute. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. Cowboy. Cowboy. It's rant time, and this is uh, somewhat of an unrant rant, but it is a rant against the uh, liberals and those people that think that either side of the party, the left or the far left or the far right, I don't care what far you're on, but if you're far, you're stay far away from me. So after the Las Vegas Pipe Show, I went over to L.A. for a couple of days, did some work there, spent some time with my family. While I was there, I spent a lot of time at Starbucks. It was a great place for me to sit down with my laptop, get caught up on emails, check in on the forums, see what was going on, and be able to relax. One of the things I want to tell you about Starbucks in particular, Starbucks as a company may not be your favorite choice of coffee, but it is good coffee that's consistent. And Starbucks as a company has stood up to the far sides of the extremes on every occasion. There was a while back where Starbucks wanted, uh, where the anti-smokers wanted Starbucks to make sure that all their properties were completely smoke-free. So that inside or outside. And you know what Starbucks said? Starbucks said no. Starbucks said we will adhere to the local policies of the townships or the cities or states that we're in, we will not enact any more policy than what that is. So that's why I'm able to go over to a Starbucks and sit out on their patios when the weather's nice or when I'm in Southern California and the weather's nice 48 weeks out of the year because they don't know what weather is there. I'm able to go to the Starbucks and sit on the patio. If that's what the law allows in that area, I can sit on the patio and smoke. If they don't allow smoking on a, on the patio, then Starbucks is really tolerant and allows you to smoke around the patio. Either way, Starbucks has stood up to them and said, no, we won't enact any more laws than what are already put on people. Starbucks did the same thing with the anti-gun lobby. There was a big push for the anti, from the anti-gun lobby to have Starbucks go uh, no, uh, no weapons policy. Starbucks said, no, we're not doing that. We're doing whatever the law of the land is in the area. They were consistent on it. They did it. 
Starbucks is a company that stands up for their stands up for the principles of what they believe. They're not going to put any more principles on you. You may not like the terminology that they use for their coffee or for their products, but they've created an atmosphere. They've created a place where it is as libertarian as possible, shall we say? Anyway, I enjoy going to Starbucks. I enjoy the fact that at a Starbucks that if I want to, if it's allowed, I can smoke outside at a table just like Scott Tinker and I did sitting and relaxing, just like I did this past week in L.A. Starbucks, you've got my support. I would like everybody else to get out there and support Starbucks as well. We've come to the end of the show. Hope you've enjoyed it. God, I'm tired. Can't wait to get home. It'll be the first night in uh, seven nights in my own bed. Won't have to look at the suitcase for a while. Get it all unpacked and relaxed. Next week's show... Have to see which one of these interviews I get queued up, or maybe I'll get one of the guys on the phone with me for that show. I will do a full review of the Las Vegas Pipe Show for you. We'll have trivia. Got some more music. Same thing. A special thank you to producer AJ for helping out with the sound quality, especially on this episode. Hey, if you want to advertise on the show or sponsor the show, just like my friends at SmokingPipes.com do, contact Kevin Godby at PipesMagazine.com. We sure would appreciate it. Until next time. Who cares about the clouds when we're together? Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Happy trails to you. Well, I'll give this little cookie an hour before we're doing the no pants dance. (laughs) Time to musk up.